Throughout Lent, many of y'all have been following along in our series, The Last Sayings of Christ, while he's there on the cross. And last week, y'all got to hear Andy preach about, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that is actually the beginning of a psalm. And Christ was saying that to jolt everybody's attention to that psalm, which is Psalm 22, which starts out in that way of, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But the ending of that psalm is a, is a proclamation of victory, of good over evil, of God coming through. And so the video we watched are some of our church friends telling them or telling us what victory on the cross means to them. And hopefully we reflected on that this past week, of what Christ's victory on the cross means for all of us. And it is something that we do get to join in with Christ in that victory. He shares that with us and it frees us. And it's a wonderful gift. It is a wonderful gift. And so today we're going to be looking at another saying of Christ while he was there on the cross. So we will be looking at a gospel passage, the gospel of John chapter 19. And I'm going to read verse 28 and 29. So I invite you to stand as you are able in body or spirit and honor the reading of the gospel passage. And after this, when Jesus knew that all was now finished, he said in order to fulfill the scripture, I am thirsty. And a jar of full of sour wine was standing there. And so they put a sponge full of the wine on a branch of hyssop and held it to his mouth. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So my home in the neighborhood that I live is situated on a corner lot. Do I have any other corner lot people in here? Or am I the only one? Okay, we've got some corner lot folks. All right. And so when you live on a corner lot, when you drive, your house kind of stands out right there. You know, it's there, the intersection of two streets. And so... If your yard is not quite manicured, it tends to stick out like a sore thumb, if you've ever had that happen. And you know, it's not like it's nestled down the road between homes where you hope people just drive by and not notice that you've got these uh, flowers that are actually weeds that are popping up with onions on the bottom of it. My daughter and her friends go pick onions in the yard right now is what they say they're doing. But anyway, your, your yard just kind of stands out if you're the corner lot. And I don't need to get a letter from the HOA saying your yard needs to be cut because I'm on the HOA board. It'd be really embarrassing at that meeting when they But anyway, so you have to make sure your yard is kept up. And it takes time and effort. When you have a corner lot, you got all that extra edging to do if you've got sidewalks, okay, or curbs. And so edging takes time, you know, and I get a little OCD with it and I fight it and, you know, anyway. So it just takes a lot of work when you're out there in the yard, especially if your yard just kind of sticks out. So what I do when I'm finished, I know a lot of y'all have probably done this, when you're done cutting the grass, okay, in the warm summer days and done the front yard and the backyard, you've been in the yard all afternoon on a Saturday, it's hot, what do you do? I go inside, we have a collection of these big old plastic uh, nukes cups, okay, just sitting in the cabinets. We've gotten to, we'll just throw them out, but they keep repopulating. I don't know how that happens, but we have a big old thing of nukes cups in the cabinets. I go in there, get some fresh ice, I get some water, 
and I go back outside and I stand in the street. I look at the yard and I just drink my water, just looking at it. And I'm sure the neighbors think I'm just crazy. But I'm in the road actually looking at my beautiful artwork of, you know, level grass, edge, sides, everything looking good. And just drinking my water. And everybody's saying he's just crazy. He's lost it. But I, I, I do it. I don't know why. It's just a habit. And so nothing tastes so incredibly good but an ice cup of water on a hot day after working in the yard. Nothing tastes so good. Not only does it taste, you can just feel it go in. And it just refreshes you. Man, it's awesome. And I love it. So drinking water on a hot day is exactly what you need in that moment. And so today, we're going to look at what Christ meant when he said, I'm thirsty on the cross. And what that means for us. What are the layers and the messaging in this moment where Christ is hanging there? Because it's more than just saying, I'm thirsty. You see, when it starts out, it says, in order to fulfill the scripture, he says, I'm thirsty. Let's start there. Let's look at that. What scripture is he referencing? Believe it or not, it's another psalm. This is another example why Christians really need to know the Old Testament. It's so important that we understand the message and the meaning of the Old Testament because Christ lived that out. And he referenced it it so much in his ministry and makes it so much deeper. So this comes from Psalm 69, verse 21. It says, I looked for pity, but there was none. For comforters, but I found none. They gave me poison for food. And for my thirst, they gave me vinegar to drink. This is the psalm that was being referenced here and fulfilled when Christ said, I am thirsty. He was in need of something in this psalm, and they gave him vinegar to drink. You know, before Christ was nailed to the cross in the Gospel of Mark, it is mentioned that he was offered a mixture of myrrh and wine to help numb the pain of what he was about to go through, but he refused it. He refused it, even though it was offered to him because he wanted to bear the full pain, full burden of our sins on the cross. He didn't want to numb any of it. He wanted to carry it for us. And so he refused that wine mixture drink before being nailed to the cross. And so when he says, I thirst, it's so ironic that the man who can turn Water into wine as a miracle here is on the cross saying he's thirsty. But this thirst may be more than just a physical thirst because it could be a spiritual thirst as well. Because right here on the cross, he feels forsaken. As he said before, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So in addition to a physical thirst, there is a spiritual dryness that he is feeling the lack of God's presence. However, God works in amazing ways. Verse 29, a jar full of sour wine was standing there. And so they put a sponge of the wine on a branch, full of wine on a branch of hyssop and held it to his mouth. Who is there at the cross? You have to go back and think back to the previous Passages, But who is there at the cross? You have the Roman soldiers there that put them there that are uh, 
carrying out this crucifixion and waiting for the people on the cross to die. And then you have Jesus' mother, Jesus' aunt, his friend Mary, and the disciple whom he loved, John. It is an interesting parallel of four people here witnessing for Christ and the soldiers. It's the human soldiers that put him on the cross and that have carried out this evil act of crucifixion. But yet it's also humans that are there standing by and supporting the Messiah any way they can. And you see in that moment, God is working through Jesus' mom, Jesus' aunt, his friend and disciple to still be present, even though he feels forsaken and he thirsts. Now, to add this whole other layer of insult to injury, the sponge more than likely would have probably been a sea sponge, okay, similar to this. And sea sponges that were carried around were usually carried around by the Roman elite, the Roman soldiers, for hygienic purposes. It was not a clean sponge. So he was given a dirty sponge full of sour wine as he claims he's thirsty. And when they say hyssop, for those who understand the story of Passover and the smearing of the lamb's blood on the doorways of homes so the angel of death can pass over, hyssop was used as the plant, as the instrument to smear the blood over the doorways. And so those reading and hearing the Gospel of John would have gotten the connection of symbolism here of Jesus being the Passover lamb and the hyssop and its connection of the Passover lamb and the blood on the doorway. You see, hyssop is not strong enough, it's real flimsy, to even hold a sponge. More than likely, it was a javelin or some sort of sphere that probably got shoved up there for Jesus. But they said hyssop as a connecting point to drive home the point that Jesus is the Passover lamb for all of us that is going to atone for our sins. And so there's so much connection here that we get with this passage. So much is happening in this moment as Christ is thirsty, as he needs some form of liquid, because as we get into the next Sunday, we'll see what was said next, and it was so important for him to be able to say that. And so we're standing here, hearing about this moment of Christ. And we were sitting here probably thinking, what does this mean for us? What is God trying to tell us in this moment here with all that is happening? You know, this should, in our minds, make us think in the moments of our lives where we were thirsty. Not necessarily thirsty for that ice, glass of water after doing yard work, not that kind of thirst. But when was the last time we reflected back and noticed that we were dry spiritually? Moments in our lives where our faith was not as strong as it has been. When was the last time we reflected back and noticed that we needed our Father, our God, and we needed the body of Christ? You know, as we go through Lent, that's the idea of Lent. 
It is for us to reflect on times that we were distracted, that we were distanced from God, and what caused those moments, and what we need to give up or take on in a way to reconnect to God. That's what we focus on all throughout Lent as we journey towards Easter. And so when we go and reflect on these moments, what causes those moments of spiritual dryness? And I bet when we do think back, for some of us, it's not real intentional that we made a decision that we're going to distance ourselves from God while sometimes we can be angry with God. But a lot of times, it's just you living your life, going through the day-to-day activities of getting up, going to work or going to school or going to run errands, taking care of this, taking care of that, turning on the news, getting sucked in on what's happening around the world. There's so many things that pull for our attention. So many things. They're not necessarily bad things, but we just get busy. We just get distracted. And then those goes on for days and days and days. And before you know it, you may go through a day and not really think about God. You may have a a day where you really don't pray to God, read the Bible, any of that. You may go through a month and like, oh gosh, it's been three weeks. I haven't been at church. And none of it, as I said, is intentional. Life just happens. And then before you know it, there's this spiritual dryness. You're thirsty, and sometimes you don't even realize it until that moment hits, and you go, wow, how did that happen? How did that happen? And you know, it's in those moments, sometimes those low moments, that we use, and God works through those moments and reconnects to us, pulls us back in. Because guess what? God has never left us. We just get distracted. It's us. We are the ones that do this. And so I think in this passage here, we have to think about what is going on in our lives that is keeping us from reconnecting to God. What is keeping us from drinking from that life-giving water that God is giving us through Jesus Christ? We have to do that. And then we have to be intentional. Intentional in what we do. Things in life take work. If you want to achieve it, some things take work. And so you have to find out what is keeping you distracted. And make the intentional effort to stay connected to God. And that's going to be hard. Because you know... Sometimes the saying goes out there, the devil may not make you sin, but the devil can just keep you busy. And in those moments, we lose that connection to God, that connection to that life-giving source. So I think here on the cross when he says, I thirst, it's supposed to jolt our minds and our attention to things in our lives that are keeping us disconnected from him and find ways to reconnect, see where God is in our lives because he is there. It could be through the people you interact with, It could be through friends and family. It could be this church. There are many ways that God can reach out and connect to you through the body of Christ. Then I think the other piece of this that calls our attention is where in the world 
do we see the need for God? Our communities are also thirsty as well. There are so many people that need to feel and know the presence of God and that people care for them. I mean, the, a good example of, is what many of us just did during this Sunday school hour of packing 250 of these blessing bags that you will take in your car and as you're going about your day-to-day life, being busy, 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 but then you notice there's someone on the side of the road holding a sign. And that is your opportunity to show them the love of God by giving them a blessing bag. There are so many organizations just in Jackson that you can be a part of that, that help the homeless. They need your help. They need some of your resources because those people need to feel the love of God. They are worthy. There's a place in Canton called Madcap. There's the Trinity Mission Center in Forest. I think what God is doing here as well is trying to open our eyes to the needs of our community as well. To those outside of us that are also thirsty. Those that need to feel the love of God. That need human contact, compassion, care. That is another thing I believe as Christ is on the cross using his very limited breath and words that he had when he said, I thirst. It's not necessarily just to draw your attention to what's happening to him but it's also to open our eyes to see where we are also thirsty and where the need is out in our communities. Where do we need to be? Where is God calling us to be? That, I believe, is what we're hearing on the cross in this moment. That is what is getting our attention in that moment. And it's because God loves us so. He values us so. We were paid for with the price of crucifixion. Jesus didn't die on the cross for nobody. He died on the cross for a creation that God loved, made in his image. And so that is to move us into action, into love back to God, into love of our neighbors, into a positive force in this world. Church happens, yes, Sunday mornings in these walls. But church can also happen every day of the week outside of these walls. We are called to be more than just Sunday morning folks. We are called to be an everyday Christian, all the time Christian. One that is connected to his or her God, knowing they are loved and knowing they are to love their neighbors. And the way we do that is through the love and grace of God, through Jesus Christ and what's paid on the cross. So those words, I'm thirsty, as I said, has so many more layers to it. Not only was he fulfilling scripture and prophecy there on the cross, he was calling us into action, into reflection, into the understanding that we are loved. 
And so as we go through Lent, I say this a lot, but seriously, take a moment out of your busyness. Take a moment from your worries and anxieties of the day and see ways you can connect to God. Find ways that you can grow. See where He is calling you to be. Do that in this season of Lent, knowing that our sin has been paid for on the cross. That is a moment to celebrate. That is a moment to celebrate and a moment to share to the world. So the thing I'm here to tell you that tastes better than that big old plastic newt cup of ice water, the thing that tastes better than that is the love and grace of Jesus Christ. Let us pray.